Double Down Trent is back. But as you may know, during quarantine times, there are no sports to talk about. So we are focusing our attention instead to TV. That's right. It's really all we can do during these times is stream movies and television. So we're going to welcome on Coulter as we break down and discuss Better Call Saul. Now, the spinoff prequel was Something that maybe people didn't take too seriously when it was first announced. It started to find its footing in the first season or two, but man, oh man, has it become one of the great shows on television. We're going to talk about where it stands right now in terms of the current landscape of TV. Is it the best show on television? Maybe. We also look at characters like Kim Wexler, Nacho, and Lalo Santamanca that were not in Breaking Bad who have become key characters to this show. What a job by Vince Gilligan, Peter Gould, and especially Bob Odenkirk. So Coulter and I talk about some of the ins and outs of this show. So stay tuned for episode 69 of Double Down Trend. Double Down Trend, you might want to tune in. Talking gambling and sports, predicting who might win. Pop culture to movies. Let's start up the combo. Ryan and Aaron, man versus the motto. Keep it authentic and it's always live. So competitive, so you know it's always hype. Make sure you subscribe. Trust you don't want to miss. Going all in here on Double Down Trend. Hey, yeah, Double Down Trend. Let's go. This is Double Down Trent. Did I dream it? Or did I have $1,600,000 on my desk in cash? When I close my eyes, I can still see it. Burned into my retinas like I was staring into the sun. No one on God's green earth knew we had it. We could have split it 50-50. We could have gone home with $800,000 each, tax-free. Your point being? Why didn't we? What stopped us? I remember you saying something about doing the right thing. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) You want to know why I didn't take that money? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Me personally, I was hired to do a job. I did it. It's as far as it goes. Yeah. Well, I know what stopped me. And you know what? It's never stopping me again. Welcome to Double Down Trent, the podcast where two elementary school buddies are talking sports, gambling, and pop culture. My name is Ryan. I'm your co-host as always. Today, we are joined by our friend, Mr. Coulter, to talk some TV and entertainment. How are you doing today, Coulter? You know, I'm doing good. The sun is out. Uh, It's a nice day here in Connecticut. Um, You know, obviously, this coronavirus situation is not ideal, um, but making the most of it checking out movies and TV and catching up on stuff that I haven't been watching for a while. I've been putting off reading some books that I've been putting off. So it's definitely been a good time to catch up on some stuff, but yeah, less than ideal circumstances. If there are people that were built for this to stay indoors and watch TV shows and movies, I mean, you're looking, we got them. It's us. (laughs) Yeah, uh, exactly. My whole lifestyle I feel like is built, built for this kind of thing. Exactly. So what I've been doing is I've been spending some time uh, catching up on some shows that I've already watched and loved. So I've been uh, binging The Sopranos, trying to make my uh, my wife get into The Sopranos. We're getting there. We're through season one. So, you know, we're slowly ticking along. That's a hard show to binge. But uh, other than that, man, just watching a lot of movies, a lot of shows. But we've got some good topics to talk about today. 
You know, it's amazing. Speaking of the Sopranos, and I've noticed this because I picked up Oz earlier this year, too. Uh, those early HBO shows and, you know, what? even to to a lesser extent, but Curb, like the early HBO shows are not as bingeable. Like, I think you actually just hit a huge thing on a nail on the head there, whereas like these Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul type shows are just like you can just turn them out like Ozark. Uh, they're really built for the Netflix era, whereas like you're so right about the Sopranos. If I did more than two of those, I would start feeling like I'm going to have like a panic attack or, or some sort of rage yeah. disorder. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's not a show that can be consumed in high volume. And you I want think to spread it out. did them on purpose. It'd be something that's a conversation I guess we could have at some point is just how shows have evolved, but you're right. Those shows are not built to be consumed in bulk. Unlike the show that we're going to be talking about today. And it's better call Saul. Now, a lot to discuss here. It's it's a spinoff, obviously, of one of the greatest TV shows of all time. But, Colter, give us a little background here because you initially did not jump on the Better Call Saul train. So give us your thought process as to maybe why you didn't jump in right away. Yeah, when it started, I had this flawed um, – you know, I was going to start checking it out. But then the episodes just kept piling up, and then it was just like I watched the pilot. I remember, you know, one day on my couch uh, – and then I just never started that second episode. And then for whatever reason, it went off the cable thing. So I couldn't rewatch it. And then obviously it had life on Netflix. And so it's been sitting there for a while. But for whatever reason, I swore to myself, oh, I'll just I'll watch it all when it's done. And I'll just binge it that way. And then this coronavirus thing happened and I'm sitting at home and I'm looking at Netflix. I'm like, this is so stupid. I'm just going to jump right into Saul because I love Breaking Bad. I love uh, Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan and what a great choice that was to finally jump into it and what a bad choice it was not to be watching it all this time because it is the hands down best show on TV. And I tweeted it out earlier this week. If people think peak TV is done, better saw call has rewritten that narrative on the fly. This fifth season peak TV is not dead. This not is dead. very, very, very much alive and better call Saul. It's as good, if not better than Break, Breaking Bad. Yeah, and we're going to cover that. We'll get there. And for me, I watched it from the get-go. I was I was intrigued by it from the start because I thought when I heard they were spinning off Breaking Bad, I was like, that's a terrible idea. I mean, it was such a good show. It was so fulfilled with the characters, the arc. It ended perfectly. For them to spin it off, I thought, was a strange idea. And then when you hear that it, it's going to be Saul, I didn't know what to think of it because, like, he's obviously a great character in the show, but he's definitely a secondary character to do a whole series about him seemed a little uh, questionable at best, but I mean, these guys, Vince Gilligan, Peter Gould, they knew what they were doing. They totally did. And, and I, we're going to praise them for the next like hour. Or so <laughs> everyone should just get used <laughs> to it. Cause I think these two are like writing geniuses and like, a, you know, if I ever write a screenplay or a TV show or anything, like I definitely attribute them to that. Cause they've just been so motivating. Like the show is just so well stitched together and we'll get into it, but it's like every plot line, you start something in like season four, episode two, and it connects to something that's happening now in this show. 15 episodes later, it's like the way that it's rooted and the stories are just interwoven. Uh, and the way that curtain drops sometimes on the two different worlds that are going, it's just so friggin' well done. I could go on and on forever, but yeah, you hit something on the head. Uh, when they announced this project, I think that was one of the other reasons why I didn't get into it right away is that Saul was a great character, but I always, I was kind of adamant in 2015 when it started that like, you can't build a show around Saul. Like that was my argument to my friends. And like, that was just a, a dumb argument. That was a dumb way to look at the, the, them announcing this project. I was like, Oh, there's just none of meat on the bone. He's just as interesting, if not more interesting than Walter white. Now that we've gotten to see the curtain kind of pulled up behind his backstory. 
Couldn't agree more. Now, this is the point of the show where we're going to say spoilers. If you haven't watched either of these shows, this is probably not the podcast for you to listen to, but spoilers will begin from here. Now, one of the other, I think, genius ideas that they've done with this show is obviously they've populated it with characters we know from Breaking Bad, but they made really smart choices in the characters they chose to develop and the characters they used as a cameo. And I'm talking specifically about one of our favorite characters of all time, Mike Armentrout. What do you think about what they're doing with Mike here? Because I mean, it's uh, almost I, a show about Mike as it is Saul. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd lie if I was saying I watched those first five episodes on Netflix like four weeks ago and I was starting this crazy binge that's uh, now been a whole month. But, you know, I was into it. I, I was totally loving the, you know, seeing uh, all the old characters. But, man, that episode with Mike 5 where it goes into his backstory and he gives the speech about his son and bringing him down into the gutter with him. I was like, this is the best show ever. I love Mike Herman Trout so much. I was like, please inject this into my veins. And then here we are five seasons later and we get to Bagman last week. And it was just like, he gives another great speech. And I'm just like, this show is just exactly what I'm looking for. It's so freaking good. I love Mike so the much. The amount of layering and just story, story arcs with these characters and the dialogue too is amazing at how they have given all these characters that we thought we knew just such a layered and textured and deep backstory. Like the stuff with Mike and his son is just gut wrenching. And then it explains everything that happens after. And they only use an episode for it. If you really think about it. And this, this is, this is a great part of the show and and not to go on like a side tangent here, but like you see it with the flashback to Kim in this, uh, this season, season five, episode six, I think it's so tight we only saw her for 10 minutes in her background. Yeah, we know so much more about her character now that we saw that. Same with the Mike episode, that 5-0. That's the only time they've really dug deep into what happened. And yet it is stitched into every scene that he's in. And he yells at the granddaughter this season because she asks about his uh, her dad. But it's just like that. He carries that with him in every single scene. And it's just so tightly well done. They don't they use every single minute and they just make the most of it. I, again, kudos to the writers. I just can't say enough good things. Yeah. And I think in the hands of lesser showrunners, this could have been a tricky spot to navigate because because, you know, where so Mike ma- ends up exactly. And even with Saul, too, for the for a degree, you kind of know where he ends up. But they've done such a good job of of uh, setting up the scenes where they don't have to worry about where he ends up. I mean, we're, we'll get to that because they obviously have the Cinnabon stuff, which to me is is equally as fascinating now as it keeps developing each season. You know, you just put we should go through our list that I, that I created that solves the best show of. We left this one off the list, but we'll just tack it on here that you just mentioned it. Best show ever at opening a season. Every single season, that cold opening with the black and white is that is the best idea that a showrunner's ever had. It, it, it's a, a concrete block that they build off every season, but they start in the same spot. I love having that redundancy. I think it's just so it's such a smart idea to show just a little bit, giving us a little you know, little bites at a time over, you know, what's happening with Saul in the future. Yeah. In that premiere episode, I thought it was just, I thought that was like a novelty. Like it's cool. They right. showed Saul the you know, post him getting like, you know, in the escape with the vacuum cleaner guy. I just thought it was a cute little thing that they did. But now what they've done is, as you mentioned, each, each season begins with a little bit more of post breaking bad Saul to the point now in season five, where we're at, they kind of show him, a lot more of it where he gets outed. Someone's like, oh, you're Saul. You're the lawyer. You've been on the billboards to the point where he calls the vacuum cleaner guy again. And then they kind of leave it off there. So what they've really done is they've created a prequel 
to show us everything about Saul that made him Saul. But then they're also giving us these little nuggets of future Saul and kind of how it ends. So they've really got a beginning. Breaking Bad serves as the middle, and they're still doing an end to Saul's story that is yet to be written. That cold opening to start season five where the guy forces it out of him, I my heart sunk. I was like, holy crap, I can't believe this guy's going to make him do this. And then he says it. And then the beauty of that scene, too, is, is that uh, Gould and Gilligan had the presence of mind to stay there. As you said, he calls back Ed, the vacuum guy, and we stay with him for another like five or six minutes in the future. Such a great decision because, I mean, you easily could have – that could have ended it right there. The guy makes him say, better call Saul – flash to the music and then we're back into the present of the story, but they linger with him. So we see a little bit more than we're used to even too. It was like a 10 minute opening. Usually it's just like a five minute. I thought that was a great choice. And that opening, Oh, crushing, just absolutely and crushing. The tension that they build in there too. Cause yeah. you don't know, like, is this guy a hick man? Is he with the cartel? Is he, you know, you have no idea who this no guy idea is. Who he, is. Oh, he could so, be anybody. He could yeah, be connected the, to any of the characters. It's so yep. good. Oh, oh, the tension so. on that is phenomenal. All right. So let's kind of go brick by brick here because uh, uh, season one, it starts off gonna, and you're not sure what it's going to be yet. So what do you think about with how it started in season one? Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably one of the problems with the show is that it is hard to kind of jump into right off the bat just because it's so like, it's in the minutia of this like lawyer plot line. And then he's got the senior facility that he's, he's in the lawsuit with that. And then, I mean, you know, we've gone now almost 20 minutes and we haven't mentioned arguably the two, the show's deepest characters, I think are Chuck and Kim and they're unique to this story. They're not in the breaking bad universe. So we don't know how their storylines are going to end and they're just so well done. But so it's a lot of the Chuck and uh, Jimmy brotherly rivalry, but you know, what's so great about that first season is just like in breaking bad. It's just like, Chuck knows Jimmy so well, and it's, you know, I think they they took their time building this story, and it really goes and shows, like, you know, we can have sympathy towards Jimmy all we want, but at the end of the day, like, this is what he wants to do. He's given every opportunity. We see it again in season five with Howard offering him a job. He has every opportunity to become a real lawyer, but at the end of the day, he likes the scheming. He likes the wheeling and dealing. He likes being uh, slipping Jimmy. And he likes doing it. Uh, it's like the end of season one, that Marco episode where his friend dies when he goes back home. That is where he feels most alive. And it's just like Walter and Breaking Bad. It's such a nice parallel, too, because it's just like they're you're sympathetic for Walter because he's dying. But then he's such a dick. <laughs> and he, yeah. there's, such like a, there's so much life that is lost because Walter exists. And then Jimmy is like the same way. It's like you want to like him, but like you can't help but judge him because he, he really has set all of this in play for himself. He easily could just be in an office like him and being a normal lawyer, but he just has that itch that he'll never be able to sit in an office. He has to be slipping Jimmy. It's who he is. Yeah. And you brought a great, a couple of characters there with Chuck who plays his brother and I plays Chuck is his brother. Uh, and then Kim Wexler who becomes and develops into this relationship that Jimmy has where you're not sure if it's going to be, you know, colleagues, are they going to be romantic? And obviously it, it, you know, evolves into an, a romantic relationship, but Kim and Chuck are just textured layered, deep characters that have been built up over the few seasons. And one of the things that I love, especially with Kim, uh, and as you mentioned, they're not characters in breaking bad, so you don't know where they're going and what worries me. And as the seasons build, you just, you see how, Kim and Jimmy have this kind of like back and forth relationship where you're not sure if Kim wants to jump all the way in to kind of the slip in Jimmy world or, you know, is she fighting to become that like legitimate power lawyer. The moments that they have where like they're conning people, where they're doing the kind of like, you know, slip in Jimmy hustle. 
it just shows all these things. And to me, what I love is that there's just kind of this cloud of uncertainty with Kim that is is just gripping because as each episode goes by, you know, they're showing the progression of Saul. But then you're not sure what's going to happen with Kim. And I have no idea. Do you want to talk about some ideas that you think might happen with Kim? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, now that the the, mo- the, mo- the not the mob, the, the uh, drug cartel knows that she exists and who she is exactly, uh, definitely puts her right in the crosshairs. And so one could think that she either is going to be a victim here and not make it out of the series, or she's somewhere in Nebraska because that's where her origins are from. And that's where she, uh Jimmy slash Saul is now in the future uh, post Breaking Bad. So I think it would make sense that she's either back in Nebraska or she's dead or she got assistance from Ed, the vacuum guy. I think the one problem with the her getting a new identity is that Robert Forrester died. So I don't we can't bring him back to change her identity in season six at the end of the show. If that's the way that yeah. they want to do it. But I mean, I'm sure that there could be a way where he drops her off in front of her sh- his shop and then we kind of assume that's what ends up happening with her. Uh, but I guess, yeah, those are the, th- those are the three options. She's dead. Uh, she's a new identity somewhere else, or she's back in Nebraska and Jimmy's going to find her in the kind of post credits of the series. Yeah. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And as they kept doing these schemes, uh, especially in this season five, I thought that Saul, Jimmy was going to, you know, just push her away. Eventually that his actions were eventually she was going to say enough and just leave him. Which, Especially at the end of season four, where he transforms into Saul there, and you get to see the monster really come out, uh, yeah. which is a really great episode, one of the best in the series, winner. Uh, another great backstory shot of Jimmy and Chuck, and then, yeah, that way that builds, and then at the end, he goes right to Saul, and she's just standing there completely in shock. Uh, yeah. I, I did not see the way that it's gone in their relationship this season. I'm with you. I did not see them st- sticking it out, and let alone, spoiler alert, getting married. I was Right. And she said that at the end of episode six, I was like, no, they're supposed to be breaking up. This is what it's been building to. The, the scene on the rooftop of that garage and they're yelling at each other. And my wife came in and, and she was just like, oh, are these two getting a divorce? And I was like, yeah, it looks like it. This is like, I think the ninth or eighth episode of season four. And here we are a month, a uh, season later. They're still, yeah. they're married now. They're still together. But yeah, and, you know, I think in, inside the show, will they break up before the end of the show? You know, is it coming this season? Is the conclusion of this season the arc, their relationship finally ends. That, I think that would make sense um, to me because I think Kim is really like Jesse. And I think you kind of said it best is we've been going along with her in this journey. We don't really know how much she wants to be part of it. And then it seems like she does. Jesse was very much the same way in, in Breaking Bad where, you know, he complained and he bitched, you know, and he was always angry and aggro. But at the end of the day, it's like he kind of was enchanted by Walter. And, you know, even though they split up, they end up coming back you know, he comes back to save him. So they're very much entwined with one another, no matter what ends up happening. And Rhea, say, uh, I should say Ray Seahorn, the actress, is very much like uh, Aaron Paul. And again, credit to Gilligan and Gould for finding her because she's just a shining star. Yeah. <laughs> she's shooting out of this earth right now, the way she's acting. She's so freaking good. Yep. And she's one of the characters that was new in Better Call Saul that I and, and all the fans are probably deeply invested in. Now, there's two other ones that I want to talk to you about because they're really well-developed characters as well. And the first one is Nacho. So Nacho kind of has this start with the Salamancas. Uh, We see as the show progresses that he kind of gets into the Gus Fring world. What do you think of the character Nacho? And then let's talk a little bit about him and maybe where you think uh, his story arc is going to end because obviously he doesn't doesn't have any kind of appearance in Breaking Bad. 
Yeah, a lot of credit goes to Michael Mando, uh, who plays Nacho Varga on the show, and Tony Dalton, who plays uh, Lalo, Lalo, who came in over the last two seasons. They're both phenomenal. Uh, I mean, the acting across the board. I think that's why when I do the comparison analysis to Breaking Bad, there's just so many better actors in Better Call Saul. I feel like it's just like the side characters in Breaking Bad, whenever I rewatch it, just get to me so much. It's like they're just not as good. Nacho yeah. is so deep. Uh, to answer your question, you said, where, where's he going? Uh, I think he's going in a hole in the desert, personally, but that's just my opinion. Yep. That one's going to be gut-wrenching because, yeah. yeah. He's too friendly he, with he, uh, with bad people to make it out of this world. Yeah. So that's the other one I'm interested in. And then, as you mentioned, Lalo. Now, Lalo is a great character who came in kind of later into the Better Call Saul world. So he is uh, Lalo Saltamanca, uh, obviously not in Breaking Bad, but... For whatever reason, when when he's on the screen, it's just exciting. I mean, it's like it's like tossing a snake into a ring and just seeing what happens because he obviously is this bad guy for the cartel. But the way he is portrayed by uh, what's the guy's name? Tony Dalton. Tony Dalton. He's like uh, he's uh, like Anton Chigurba with personality or who's the guy who plays Chigurba? Yep. I'm drawn to play Harvey or Bardem. He's like Bardem, Harvey yep. Bardem, but with like a really Brad Pitt like smile. Yeah, and he just is, like, laid back and just has his, like, cavalier attitude towards just everything that makes it exciting. Um, but the What story a great line, antagonist. So oh, good. it's great. Now, I would be very remiss if we did not take at least a, a chunk of this uh, show to talk about season four, uh, specifically with Mike, Lalo, Gus Fring, and the German engineers who go ahead and build this underground lab that we know exists in Breaking Bad. I thought it was a genius idea for them to bring that in there, but then that entire season is just one of my favorite seasons of television. From the beginning to the end, the character development of Mike is just incredible. So I have to talk about this season. What did you think watching season four? Oh, it's so heartbreaking. I mean, and they do such a good job again, in connecting the different things. It's like, uh, there's a scene in season four. Uh, and well, this is actually kind of, it all, again, it all connects. They get out. Mike takes him to the strip club. They, him and Werner go to the bar at the bar. He notices the postcard from Sydney, Australia. Warner mentions, Oh, my dad built that, which is like mind blowingly great. Yep. Small detail is like a detail within a detail within a detail. And then you bring it back in season five. Mike's at the bar getting drunk. He sees the postcard from Sydney and just goes friggin' ape shit. He's like, take it down, take it down. Oh, I, I, I was like, I, that hit my emotional spots all over the place. But, uh, where was I going with that? Basically it's just like every, everything is so thought out and, uh, it's just, it's so well done. Oh, and then the fact that Warner escapes. So they have this breath of fresh air. They get to kind of taste the freedom, quote unquote. And then after that, uh, Mike kind of bad mouths him because he starts talking to a couple guys at the bar and he's drawing the design on the, the coaster. And then right after that, Warner starts calling his wife and he gets really antsy about going home and he wants to take the break. And then he just breaks out. He doesn't even ask Mike, but it's all it's in this crescendo of like he gets a little taste of freedom and then he has to have the whole thing. And then he gets out. And because he gets out, Lalo ends up following him, uh, tracing him, killing this guy at this, you know, bank teller. And then that whole plot ties into this season because Mike uses that information to frame Lala, who gets into prison and then Saul has to represent him. So it's all, all laid out. I mean, these guys are like next level geniuses. Yeah. And 
not to say that season four was kind of like uh, in, in season or like the storyline was isolated. Cause obviously like you said, it all ties in, but just the conversations with Mike and Werner, the German engineer, just the conversations that they were having was incredible. Like they build up this huge friendship and obviously big spoiler. We said at the beginning, but it comes all the way at the end there where Mike is the one who decides he's got to have to kill Werner. And I know we got a lot of backstory with Mike and his son in there, but that, that whole arc with Werner just That's shows you everything we, about Mike too. Right. I was going to say that builds to his breaking bad persona. Cause he's like, I've seen some shit. And uh, not only has he seen this thing with his son in Philadelphia, but it's like this, I think actually might've impacted him even more because he gets the vengeance on his son's killers. But this kind of thing sets him on a whole weird warped thing where now he's working for Gus, even though Gus is the man that made him assassinate Warner. So there has to be some sort of residuals there. And I can't, help but think that they're going to have a blow up eventually before this show ends. I know they don't, they're not going to kill one another because they both bake it to breaking bad, but there's got to be some sort of confrontation where, uh, banks goes after John Carlo Esposito for, for, you know, ordering the, the assassination of Warner there. Cause that's, I think that's what he carries with him even more so than his son now. Uh, and then what, what he ends up carrying into the breaking bad is that kind of stain on his existence. And uh, to kind of go bring bring it back full circle to Nacho there for a second, you asked me what you think his uh, thing is going to be. This is a show that foreshadows. It's a brilliantly well-developed show when it comes to just giving you little like tiny hints of what might happen. Mike killing Nacho. I mean, he killed Warner in the desert. I mean, why 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 would it not be Mike to kill Nacho? Yeah. I mean, who who else is going to kill him? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, Lalo, Lalo's in jail right now. We might we don't know what the future of his character could be. He could be dead by the end of the season. I think Nacho will make it to the end. He'll be a casualty like Hank. He will die in either the penultimate episode or the finale. And his death will be kind of the springboard to get us to the final couple scenes that tie it all together. Yeah. Um, before we jump into some of our uh, pre-discussed items that we've got here on our talk sheet, I just wanted to spend a few minutes because we were talking and texting about uh, the Chuck and uh, Jimmy. We got to spend some time on it. Now, the backstory with Chuck is he had he's a brilliant lawyer who's suffering from some weird condition where he can't be exposed to electric currents. And Michael McKeon plays it so down. You just so believe that he has this disease. I mean, that was another thing about the first you asked me what my first, you know, and the first season reaction was just like, I totally thought that this was a real thing, which clearly is not, uh, that you could have this like hypersensitivity to electricity and that it's like actually a thing. He's so believable, amazing actor. He won an Emmy, I believe, and deserves it because he's just phenomenal as Chuck. And again, the, the, the bench is just so deep in Saul. I mean, talk about a show you get rid of. I think I would argue the second best actor on the show through the first three seasons and he's no longer on the show going forward and it's only gotten better. That's yeah. mind blowing. That was the heart of the show. It was the yep. heart of the show for so long. Uh, and the show that at its core is a brotherly rivalry show. I mean, just like uh, not to make another breaking bad comparison, but I really think Chuck is like Skylar. So it's like uh, as much as Skylar and Walt's relationship is the foundation of breaking bad, which I think it definitely is Chuck and his relationship with Jimmy is definitely the, the foundation that builds this story and everything, everything, even the Mike stuff, all of it is comes back to that core foundation of these two brothers that just hate each other. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I'm a little surprised uh, that they killed off Chuck as early as they did. Cause I thought, you oh, know, it was so good though. I, it, I, it worked. I yeah. The benefits streaming it and binging it over the last month. I, I can't say enough that what a great decision that was. Cause it's just, 
completely put Jimmy on a different direct trajectory over the last two seasons. He is just, yeah. it was now, a fast track to become Saul basically after that death. Yep. I just want to set the scene for the, the courtroom battle scene. So Chuck oh, yeah. and Jimmy are going back and forth. Chuck is, is you, you think he's a loving brother or like or a tough love brother kind of situation, but it comes out throughout this courtroom battle that he just does not like Jimmy. He thinks he's not a lawyer. Who's a person worthy of being a lawyer. So it's just it's such a good scene for so many different reasons, because one, you see slipping Jimmy Saul with uh, with Huel and, he you know, puts the little cell phone battery, he slips him into uh, Michael McKeon's jacket. You've got the courtroom battle and you you talk about this scene, because when you texted me that it reminded you of a few good men, I, it, I didn't even think about it until you sh- until you texted me. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, if you think of the comparison points here, Chicanery, that episode reminds me of a few good men. That's like one of my favorite movies slash face-offs. And then this last episode, Bagman reminded, reminded me so much of Pine Bear. And it's like, talk about the ultimate compliments you can give Gould and uh, Gilligan. I mean, a few good men, that scene with Jack Nicholson is like all time acting and writing. And yep. Chicanery is as good, if not better than that. It's so, and you mentioned it. The reason why it is, is it's so layered with the Huel element. And then there's the brotherly rivalry and there's Kim there yep. and Howard's there and he brings in the ex-wife. And it also goes and shows, I think it, it gives Kim this little thinking in her head where she did not have, she gets it right after this is that Slip and Jimmy his ways ultimately could win in the courtroom. You know, there, you know, Chuck might be smarter, but Jimmy is like a caged animal. And when yeah. you let him out of the cage, you don't know what the hell is going to happen. And th- that's some of the beauty of this show is you just don't know when it's going to happen. You know, G- game of Thrones, which I think actually in its early seasons did this really well. It's like, as the audience, you kind of expected the buildup and then it got to the penultimate. And that was like the explosion episode. And then it had the finale, which was a little bit, less action packed. So it was always like that ninth or eighth episode. Better call Saul hits you with the uppercuts. Chicanery is in the middle of the third season. Talk about if you're just sitting down on a Monday night, you're like, Oh, better call Saul's on. Boom. You get him yeah. with like a few good men level courtroom scene. It's like, bam. And then this last episode again, Bagman. I mean, you sit down Monday night and it's just like, you're in pine barrens, but in the desert with Jimmy and Mike, it's so good. Yeah, I um before we get into all the top five episodes, so we got them listed out. We got our favorite episodes that we're going to talk about. Um, I want to just talk about real quick uh, the the acting, especially by Bob Odenkirk uh, and Michael McKeon. Right. The acting is so good. And you know, we've, yeah, we haven't talked about. Yeah, yeah, we got to talk about it. But real quick, I want to have a, an interesting comparison is that I thought it was is uh, kind of cool that. Uh, Michael McKeon and Bob Odenkirk both served on Saturday Night Live. Now, Odenkirk wasn't really an actor. He, he served as a writer. Writer. But I always have this theory that uh, if you're really good on SNL, you've got the ability to inhabit characters. And Saul kind of starts off in Breaking Bad as like a, a you know comedic relief, kind of like this wisecracking, smarmy lawyer. Uh, but the layering, like we've said, of the character is so deep going back to the show now that an SNL uh, writer, actor – these guys are great at creating characters and personas. And each week, each episode, you're doing five, six different characters. I think it lends these guys, these actors, not just guys, the, the women on the show as well, to being able to portray these very deep layered characters. And it's fascinating to me that they're, they're two SNL alums who are carrying the show. Yeah. And it's like every choice that they're doing with the mannerisms and uh, even like the what he wears, the transition of his clothing. So it's all they're building this personality on the fly almost. And yeah, the SNL thing, the improv, I, I think they do a lot of improv on set. I think even uh, Jonathan Banks does improv with Mike scenes. So 
I mean, they obviously have a storyline that's written out, but they do a lot of different takes. And I think that it's definitely a product of having Odenkirk as the lead. And he's so funny too. There's some of the things he says has so much bite on it. It's great. I love, I love what he brings to the table. Cause you totally believe him as this American male who's, you know, angry at himself, but also angry at the world. And he's trying to figure out his place in it. But then like, he's got this broken type of uh, way to deal with all of his problems. And it's just so well done. He's funny and he's hateable. He's loathsome, but he's also like likable. You know, that scene you were talking about where and they do the uh, St. Clair trick on the guy with the tequila. Yep. It's like, how can you not love that guy? And then, then <laughs> you see it in that moment. You're like, that's why Kim loves him. Cause it's like, he's enchanting. He has this, pulse that other people don't have he's he's constantly he's working at a different level and you could call it you know he's being a con artist or a schemer or whatever but like there is something that's like very intoxicating about the way he lives his life and to tie tie it back into the uh, snl thing it's all because he's just constantly every moment he's kind of just free balling and he's freewheeling yep so I've been saying for a long time that this show is starting to rival, if not get better than Breaking Bad here. But you have gone even far uh, and, and above just that. So you put together quite the list of topics that you think that maybe the show not only does really well, but might be the best at doing. So why don't you start going through these and let's talk about a few of them. Yeah, and this is a the good good one to first start off with because we haven't really dived too much into it. But another reason why I love this show is that it's the best show I think ever about a middle-class couple working and living together in the 21st century. The Jimmy Kim scenes at home are so well thought out. I was listening to this podcast where uh, Ray Seahorn was talking about her character and how she like blocks out like what her character would be doing during her day, even though we don't see it. And like what she's doing at the apartment when Jimmy's not there and vice versa. And like all this like different ways that she thinks about the character. So it's like everything about those home scenes, what they're ordering for food, what they're watching, all of it, they're not just like coming up with that randomly. They are thinking about that. And, uh, you know, we just talked about it since Chuck has died. The show is very, very much evolved from this brotherly rivalry as the foundation to now the cornerstone of the show. It's not the drugs or anything like that. It's not even the courtroom. The, the heart of the show is their living room. Yep. It's there. And now Jimmy has tainted. He, he's brought it, there was an episode like three episodes ago. I think Mike knocks on his door and breaks it in. And I was just like, "Uh Oh, Mike is in Jimmy's apartment. These two worlds have now totally collided. They're about to have sex. And he mentions it to, he mentions the cartel tour and it's like, all right, the wall is totally dropped. These two worlds are now, they're yep. no longer separated. They're totally intertwined. And, but it was nice there for that uh, season and a half before these last couple episodes where we just kind of saw them living together. I thought they just did such a good job at depicting that. I know you're obviously living with your fiance. I'm living with my wife. And it's just like, it's just sharing space with somebody and, and yep. developing that relationship and how you play off of each other and how you know how someone's tired, how someone's had a long day or if they haven't, you know, when's the right time to kind of play with them. It's, it's just so well done. I can't say enough good things about the way they've developed those two characters and their relationship together. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And like the the, the episodes when uh, Kim's got the broken arm and like, you know, uh, Jimmy's trying to help her, but he's also, you know, trying to use her. But I think and we'll, I, we might as well just get to it. The JMM episode where or no, the Wexler versus Goodman episode where, you know, Kim thinks that Jimmy's working with him and going to help her set up uh, her employers. And then Saul just pulls a 180 and just goes into full slip in Jimmy mode. You, you could see their reaction on Reese Horn's face. Like she didn't know she got furious, like the tension built up from them. And then as it 
progressed as they're back in their house talking about it. I thought watching it, I'm like, this is it. That's the end of Kim. She's going to break up with, with, uh, with Jimmy has to break up with him after that. I mean, that was like, he had literally crossed the line, I think 12 different times. And that was like the 13th step over the line. And I was like, there's no way she can tolerate this anymore. He's yeah, totally, and, he's abused her mentally almost. Right. And took advantage of her. And then she just goes, well, maybe we get married. It's, it's just wild. So, uh, the next one is lawyers and there's obviously shows about lawyers. There's like all the law and order procedural type shows. I don't think we've really gotten a show like this and maybe it's, maybe it's not even just with lawyers. Maybe it's just any profession where you see them engaging in their profession while at the same time, all of these outside factors are building up to their character development of, to, of like who they are. But the the nitty gritty of like I real estate law, the, all the different yeah. types of like, you know, a criminal defense lawyer, um, a public defender, like all of these different elements of being a lawyer come into play here. That's just fascinating. This is such a credit to Gilligan and Gould. What like some of my favorite shots of this entire series is just the uh, prosecutor getting like a coffee in the morning from the vending machine. Yep. It is like talk about showing the mundanity of life. It's just like, if these people are just living day to day and he's just getting through it. And that's, what's the beauty of those first couple of seasons is you kind of just see how Jimmy gets by. It's such a struggle. And then it, I love the way that their first season ends. Cause he's just like, man, we had our hands on $7 million. And I, and he didn't even, he didn't even realize it. He had his hands and then it took him like five episodes later. And he's like, wow, you know what? I was just so in the thick of my life going day to day. That it just com- I completely lost track of the site that I had seven million dollars or was it seven million or seven millions this last episode? Seven million was his last one. I forget what the total was, but yeah, he he had a ton of money that of was life changing. Yeah. yeah, right. And he just it, he didn't even realize it, and then it took him a little bit. He had like a delayed reaction to it, and it's like it goes and shows the the lawyer element of the show is that these people are. You know, they're doing case by case, they're client by client, they're very structured. Nothing is going to set them off their course. They're going to get their 815 coffee out of the vending machine. They're going to be in front of the judge at 830. Everything is very by the boot. You know, it's very law and order, so to speak. Yeah. One of my favorite episodes, too, is when uh, Jimmy and, and Saul and Kim are working together to get Huel off of the assault charge <laughs> of the undercover cop, and they just flood the prosecutor's office with all these letters. And it's just a genius idea, but the way they build to it, they show them on the bus with all these people writing letters. And then the prosecutor being like, why are you going to all of this length for some random guy who's got previous like record on him? It's just all those little details that they've spent the time on to build up, just really show you how uh, in tuned with this world these writers are. Now I've uh, been binging, as I mentioned, so I kind of, I have a pretty good sense of when everything's happened, but when was that too old? That was end of season four. I think it was, uh, it might either three or four. I'm now I'm forgetting it as well, but it shows, uh, as Saul, it kinda, he, he took on the nickname Saul Goodman, but he's handing out the prepaid cell phones. phones to and people. then Huel hits the guy. Yeah. That's why he does it. Cause Huel hits the guy on the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. He hits the cop with a bag. Yeah. Yep. That was just, yep. I mean, that whole episode that isn't even in the top five and you're right, man, the way that that starts with them writing the letters, it's so creative and he goes on the bus all the way to Bumble F. Louisiana it's it's so good that yeah. was that would you, I would definitely listen to somebody argue that that's a top five episode I didn't have it on mine but man that is such a good one I mean it could be all right give us a few more of these that you think it's best at yeah so we had a brotherly rivalry middle class couple lawyers con artists and yep. uh, scheming that, that I, I can't think of a, a show that's so focused on con artistry and, and scheming I know you could say Don Draper's a little bit of a con artist in Mad Men because he's got the dual identities. Uh, 
you know, Lost had some elements of con artists with Sawyer, uh, but man, there is just nothing like <laughs> Slipping Jimmy. I mean, I, I can't Slipping even think Jimmy. of another. I can't even think of another con artist. He's he's literally blocked my mind of another great con artist in film or TV. I got one. Uh, it's not a great TV show, but it is entertaining. It's uh, Sneaky Pete with Giovanni Ribisi. It's an Amazon oh, that's show. That's a good call. So he he is a con artist. It's not nearly as good as Saul, but it's uh it, it's interesting to see him do it some cons. But yeah, I I agree here. Yeah, I mean, I you think of like the great ones like uh, Kaiser Soze. He's just pure evil though, and it's just like Slippin' Jimmy. It's like the the thing that is amazing about this show is it's it struck that same chord as as uh, Breaking Bad is that these guys want to do good. They think they're doing good. They think they are doing it for a higher purpose. But at the end of the day, they're only doing it because it satisfies them. And it's the only way that they know how to be happy. And is that, and then the essence of it as an audience member, is that a bad thing? And, you know, obviously I think Walter, it's a bad thing. And I think it is a bad thing for Jimmy too, but there is nuance. There's a discussion in there. This is, this is how Jimmy is happy scheming. Yeah. It's what makes him feel alive. He wouldn't be alive. Otherwise he would be in a box somewhere and he'd be hating his life. This is what makes him fulfill his himself. And same with Walter. Walter's not meant for a classroom. He's meant to do the drug kingpin <laughs> thing. It's just like, that's what makes him feel good. <laughs> it's, it's fucked up, but like, it's like, you know, it's, that's part of who they are. Yeah. Uh, some other ones here too. Grandfathers, Mike, but I mean, this is, I can't think of a better show with grandfathers. I mean, he's the, the side plot with the granddaughter and the son. That's just awesome. Uh, talking. Yeah. Right. I mean, Mad just Man conversations. Has, yeah. yeah. I mean, Mad Men has a, has a foot in this door here, I think in an argument, but yeah, this show is just conversations. You're right. I mean, there is no, uh, plot lines in terms of like mob hierarchy with where like Sopranos where it's just like, he's constantly fearing for his life. I mean, I guess we're getting that now. Season five with Jimmy. <laughs> but like up until this point, there wasn't like life threatening circumstances. So the fact that they had four and a half years of this show and other than the very first episode or the second episode when he's out in the desert, they haven't had anything life-threatening to him. And then Kim had the accident, but there's there's been no life-threatening stuff in the show yeah. up until uh, this last episode, I would say. Even I mean, even JMM, J- J- when he really does turn, finally, after you know a seven-episode kind of like painful process that we had to watch, he finally does turn at the end of JMM. Uh, even then, I don't think I'm fearing for Saul's life, but at the end of Bagman, it's just like, I know he lives and so does Mike, but I, you know, if I'd never seen Breaking Bad, I definitely thought one of them might die, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what else? Senior living facilities, that's, you know, an easy one. That's early episodes. The best part about this show, too, is now we can look back at, like, the season two stuff like that and just, like, kind of, like, laugh. Like, it was such like, an easier show back then. Uh, after, ba- after Bagman, it's just like... There's no turning back now. It's like you're totally in it. One that you've got on here, uh, video recorders and student filmmakers just love it. You see the commercials that Jimmy goes through. I mean, it adds so much because you see the commercials and the billboards in Breaking Bad. But now you see how he uses it, like you said, to scheme, to build, the, to like the fall, the guy falling off the the, the thing. The crane and or whatever. And Chuck yeah. Chuck knows immediately that it was a yep. slip in Jimmy because he knows him so well. I love that in the first season. Whenever I see a business guy go out of his way now in the real world, I'm always just going to like that whole episode has now made me think like I'm going to look at people and be like, oh, that guy's like a Saul. Like, oh, he's doing <laughs> like, oh, he saved that guy. It might have been a stunt. Yep. <laughs> like, I'm going to yep. be so cynical after this show. It's like <laughs> that guy's yeah, that business owner. He might be a Saul type. Oh, they're, they're donating 20,000 masks to nurses. Uh, what's the angle here? What's the what is the angle? 
Um, all right. I kind of want to segment a little bit here yeah. and talk about um, where this fits in, in terms of some of the best prequels, sequels uh, and spinoffs. Cause you know, for me, I only really had uh, the cheers and Frasier kind of side elements to this one, but I think it's a lot easier to spin off a comedy than it is a drama. Uh, but where do you have this? And, and what are some other examples that you can think of of really good, uh, good examples of this? Yeah, I, th- I think you made a good point there with the comedies. It's so much easier to get that like lived in feeling with a comedy um, and create that kind of atmosphere. Whereas a drama, recreating it and then having it be as good as the, the predecessor is almost damn near impossible. So I think this does really stand on its own. I think there's people that really like Hannibal that was on NBC that had a short shelf life. Um, you know, those movies are really good examples of good prequels too. Um, Red Dragon is a prequel. Mine Hunter, the 86 movie, I believe, is also a prequel. And then Silence of the Lambs is, you know, the more well-known. But th- that whole element is good. I think you've got Gotham, Smallville, you know, some of these other shows, Bates Motel. But these are like, and these are mid-grade shows. Right, they're good. Bre- Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul are like vying for the Mount Rushmore. They're like vying for the Teddy Roosevelt spot on the Mount Rushmore TV right now. And so to even compare it to... Uh, something like uh, Bates Motel. I'm like laughing at it, thinking about it. And Fear of the Walking Dead. I mean, you look at some of these prequels that were on TV. It's just, it's not the same. It's Better Call Saul is so, it's like we were talking about all these different plot points are so well thought of ahead of time. And it all, it all connects. That Every yep. single thing in the story connects. And, you know, another thing, not to go back to Kim for a second, uh, but that Jesse comparison, you, you know, the only element of not knowing where the story is going in these two shows, I think are Jesse and Kim because they were both brought in as first season actors. They didn't have Pinkman going for a second season. I think he was supposed to die at the end of the first one. And Kim, as I've read, uh, they've kind of rewritten her on the fly as well. Uh, She's become an integral cog to this story, but uh, they were not, they did not see her character as that at all at the beginning of the show. So they're the only elements that are not really mapped out. All the other things are so well done and detailed, and, and these other prequels just don't have that Saw element. And then it's just fun to watch Saw. I mean, Big Lebowski is like my favorite movie because it's like you, you just like feel like you're hanging out with the dude. Better Call Saul is that same exact vibe, yet it's such a deep show. It's it's got so many different plot lines and themes, uh, but it, at the end of the day, it's just a great hangout, right? Yeah, I completely agree. And the world that they've built is just it. That's what I think we've talked you about. Want to be shows. Yeah, yeah. You want to be there. You don't, I don't want to be at Bates motel. I don't want right. to be in Smallville. you know, I don't. Yeah. All right. So before I put you on the spot here on a topic, that's not on our predisposed list here. Give me your, your favorite episodes of the, uh, of the show so far. Yeah. Uh, well, it's hard not to say Bagman after Monday. <laughs> Bagman was unbelievable. I, I I'm going to go with my number one, is chicanery though i think that is the series defining episode the series is never the same after it and as i kind of alluded to earlier the beauty of this show is that it will hit you when you don't really expect it you know i'm binging the show obviously so it's a little bit different but you know i'm watching sunk cost and severzito those two episodes before it and i'm just thinking you know oh, chicanery's coming on another episode better call saul and then it's like by the end of it i'm like uh what just yeah. happened? <laughs> yeah. Like this spent, show just completely changed. It's so great. You you got a lot from season five, and I have been walking out. So I'm trying to get 
my wife to watch this show because she hasn't watched it. And she's a lawyer. I'm like, you know, I know this is not exactly the type of law that you'd be interested in, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening. But after every episode this season, I've walked back into the bedroom and I was like, this show is just getting better and better and better. And you've got three in a row here on this that just happened. <laughs> this is like Matt. The only thing I can compare it to is Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz. Wexler versus Goodman, JMM and Bagman are that is like a murderer's row of I've never seen a one, two, three lineup so great on TV. I mean, it, this show is, as you said, it just keeps getting better every week. And it's just peak. It, it's hitting new peaks every week. I mean, Wexler Goodman is a phenomenal hour of television. And JMM has one of the best shots of the series where he's got the face uh, on the wall and he's looking at the family. Yep. And then Howard comes and then he gives the lightning speech and he's using his hands and it, he's got the turn in court too. He's the, the audio turns off and he, you can see the kind of switch dynamic that he goes in. There's so much in JMM. There's the just make money. I mean, the yep. whole episode is phenomenal. And then those two, yeah, I mean, you throw out Maddox and Glavin and then, Oh, by the way, here comes Smoltz here in, in, in bag Bagman. It's just uh, what a triumvirate three episodes. Of so I'm watching Bagman, right. And the scene where uh, Saul's just driving, he's happy. He just got the money. And then all of a sudden he gets kind of ambushed. I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, how the hell is he getting out of this? And then once the shots get fired, I, I'll be honest, in my head, I was like, who the hell could this be? And I then thought it was the cousins. Like, I thought it was the cousins who doubled back, but then that it was Mike that made it so much better. Same. The cousins, the cousins yeah. would not have made it a dramatic thing. I mean, see that God, that speech that Mike gives to him is. It just made so much sense because in my head too, I thought I thought Perfect. I thought it was the cousins as well. I'm like, there's no way, like that doesn't fit with those characters. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, of course, Mike. God damn it! <laughs> and I mean, the, when he when he realizes that he's now married, and you could see you were just saying about the actors, like he could just see it in Banks's eyes. He's like adding it up, and he's like, wait, you're married now? Yep. Like that's yep. that, that's not a good thing. Ugh, what and an incredible the, oh, episode. They have the space jacket, too. I mean, talking about a throwback to the earlier episodes. I mean, the, uh, when he yeah, brought up the space back. blanket, I was like, that yep. is too good. Uh, <laughs> and, and, of course, Mike has no idea either. Yeah. That's the other beauty of both this and better. Uh, Breaking Bad did a great job of this, too. Is like, it's like they're all interconnected, but they don't know what they're all doing. So it's like, yeah, Mike has no idea about anything about Chuck, yet Chuck is the most important part of his life. And there's... I think three or four seasons of Breaking Bad where it's like, I feel like Jesse doesn't know Skylar or something like that. Or yeah. there's like two characters in that show that are totally not connected. And maybe I'm getting it wrong with Jesse and Skylar, but it's like two of the main characters just don't even ever meet. And it's just like, and then they finally do. And it's like, well, this has been long overdue. Oh yeah. Um, all right. So I've been saying for a long time that or better call Saul is approaching Breaking Bad territory. So before I ask you to give me your top five TV shows, and we're doing dramas because again, you know, we've done we've had this conversation. Do you think the show is equal to Breaking Bad, or has it surpassed Breaking Bad? I think right now it is equal. It's very tough to say that it's better than Breaking Bad, just because we know the exclamation. I should say triple exclamation point. Breaking Bad ended on. Uh, which really gives Breaking Bad its gravitas, I think. Uh, and the way that we remember it, its legacy will always be that it's the show that ended on the best note. It has that uh, hanging over even some of my other favorite shows, uh, Mad Men, Sopranos, um, Wire, which, I mean, I liked all those endings personally, but I know that some people didn't. They were not met with universal acclaim that Breaking Bad had. So I think right now they're neck and neck. Saul obviously has the opportunity in the last 
what is it now, 12 episodes until we're done with it? To, yeah, I think to so. Overcome, to overcome Breaking Bad. I, I definitely think it's in position. This is a horse race, and you're telling me who's going to finish over the front line first. I don't know. And right now, they're just dead even. I think I'd agree with you there, because for a while, I thought it was just a really fun show. I thought it was good. I thought they succeeded at doing a, a good spinoff. And then as it progressed, I'm like, man, this show is getting better and better. And I think I'm with you. I think it's it's met the Breaking Bad bar. I'm curious to see what happens now, because when I was first watching the show, I thought it was a genius concept where they don't have they didn't have to worry about sticking the landing. We all know what happens to Saul. But they've developed such really cool characters that now you're interested to see what happens to them. And they've added on the little Cinnabon, you know, future of Saul aspect that is just really interesting. That ace in the sleeve is so great. I love yeah. the fact that they keep building to it. And as I said earlier, the fact that they just let it hang for a little bit even more this season, it leads me to believe that we're going to get even more at the beginning yep. of season six. And then by the finale of the show, we're going to get like an even longer one. And yeah. then it will all wrap up. And then that it will it'll just be a perfect ending. I'm, I have full confidence that these guys will stick the landing. And that's the thing. They've earned the the, the credibility. They've earned the right from the viewers to trust them let them go through what they're going to go through they already stuck the landing once what's to think that they're not going to do it again here yeah there's another scene too to go back to some of our favorite moments i just am in love with the scene in winter where jimmy is he resentfully agrees to go on the scholarship board for uh i'm drawing a blank on it hhm thank you i was gonna say jmm which is now confusing me uh (laughs) hhm and so he the, he recommends the girl who I think she's been arrested or she's got something on a record like bad uh, grades or something yeah bad, something yeah, happened something and he just gives this impassioned speech and then you know they vote but it's like it's already a done deal they know who they want and then he goes after her that is like one of the best speeches I've ever seen on TV or in any medium and it's just so good and the show is really a uh, you know another it, it has so many essences. You know, it's a brotherly rivalry. It's a couple show. But then in in its essence, too, it's all about doubling down on yourself and betting on yourself and being resourceful, which is like very much the mantra of Breaking Bad, which I think that's why everyone loved Breaking Bad is like as bad as Walter was, he just kept betting on himself and betting on himself and beating villains and (laughs) overcoming enemies and and just uh, evolving and just, you know, he just would not be stopped. And, And Saul is very much that way. He's just like, Oh, you're gonna throw this in my way? No. He's like, oh, you're gonna offer me a job at HHM? No, I'm gonna throw a bowling ball in your window. Like, yeah, I'm defi- I am defiant. I'm gonna be me. It's like it's, it's great. It's very well done. So, let's end the episode with each of us providing our current version of the top five favorite dramatic TV shows. Okay. Um, I'll go. I'll go yeah, from go five for- down. I'll go from yeah, five down. Well, no, I'll start from one. So I flip flopped. One and two. Every time. Is, is, yep. I, I flip flop all the time. It's secure. These two are not going to leave one and two. It's it's Sopranos in the wire. I'm currently rewatching the Sopranos, so I'll probably give that my edge. So I got that at number one, the wire at number two. Those two are just not moving. I've got Breaking Bad firmly at three, uh, Mad Men at four, and I had I had Game of Thrones at five, but I think yeah. I might throw in Saul here. <laughs> Saul might make my five now. Game of Thrones we, we should just do five minutes on this so we have it documented. This is going to be the uh, – and I'm not – this is not hyperbole. I hope the listeners are still listening because I'm going to be pounding this drum for the next 10 years. 
Game of Thrones will be the hardest thing to explain to our children and future generations <laughs> from a pop culture perspective. I'm not saying about coronavirus or any sort of world war thing that might happen in the future. I'm talking specifically pop culture. It will be the hardest thing to explain to our kids. This was the most popular show. It was the best show. It was unequivocally a top five show. And then it's final two seasons. It's out of my top 10 and will never enter my top 10. Wow. Uh, it is just unbelievable. It shows how the ending of something can really uh, kind of drag what was so brilliantly done in its first six seasons. But I think they just, they got really lazy and complacent and you comparing it to some of these other shows that ended on such a crescendo, like breaking bad, Saul, the Americans. I mean, talk about a show that never gave up on itself. Leftovers, another great drama that just kept peaking and peaking and peaking. Uh, there's just so many better dramas out there. Game of Thrones, no longer in my top 10. All right. All right. We'll see your top <laughs> five then. Top five. Yeah. So the last time we did this, I think Mad Men was my number one, but it's yep. really just a matter of what you've watched recently. And I did watch an episode of The Wire recently. So I'm going to go with Wire number one, Mad Men number two, Sopranos three, which I don't know how that happened. I don't <laughs> feel great about it. Breaking Bad four, and then Better Call Saul five. Um, okay. And I feel pretty good about it. I love the Americans, as I just mentioned. I do love the leftovers. Boardwalk Empire is like probably 10. Yep. Deadwood is another really good one. I'm trying to think of ones that are, oh, you know what's above, uh, you know, and to go back, to go full circle on the peak TV thing, I hate pe hearing people say peak TV is over because Saul exists and I think Atlanta is in my top five as well. Oh. It's so uh, good. That would be like, a, not to do a college football ranking type thing, but I would tie that with Better Call Saul for the uh, show that's currently on that I don't know where it can go. I think Atlanta, I, Better Call Saul, each could be number one when it's all said and done. Those two I, shows are so good. I thought you were going to drop Succession on me. Oh, you know what? Succession is in my uh, top ten. I, it's probably yeah. at nine, right above uh, Boardwalk Empire. The thing about Succession is, is I, I just love it from like a animalistic, like pleasure type thing. Whereas, like, <laughs> I think Saul is actually like, and I think Succession is brilliant too. But like, I actually think like Saul is like grapes of wrath type brilliant like i think it's american brilliance and like succession is too because it's putting a lens at the super rich in a way that we've never done but like there's just like a little bit of a difference i don't know what it is maybe it's because succession so dry and comedic uh it is but i do i do I, I do love succession too and i think that <laughs> that show is contemporary so it could keep it can keep moving up the ladder yeah. for sure yeah. i think that show could definitely end up in the top five as well all right, folks. Well, we gave you guys uh, some topics to chew on here. If you have not watched either of those shows, I mean, what are you waiting for? Now is the perfect time to get into them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there's not a better time to, to binge a show. And I'm so happy. You know, I kept calling myself stupid earlier in the show for waiting on Saul for all this time. But it ended up being probably the best thing I ever did was save this four-season binge. Because it really, it made the first part of this quarantine almost like painless. Like you're almost like at the dentist. Yeah. Now, now the Novocaine's wearing off. I don't know if you saw the binge on Saturday nights like get me through this. So uh, there's definitely an element of missing the fact that there's not anything uh, that I haven't seen yet. I have to wait till Monday to see it, but it's so good. I highly recommend it to everybody. Totally agree. Well, Coulter, this was fun. We've got another episode coming out uh, probably next week. Uh, we're gonna do the NFL draft. We've got a lot. We got some props. There's no sports out, right? So. The NFL draft is really all we got. And we've got plenty of uh, props. We've got plenty of options. Uh, I'm really excited to talk that. And we're going to have the model back on with us for that one as well. 
And don't forget a free best bet uh, preseason win total on that pod too. Uh, you know, I, this, we have such little sports that I've now started to look at all 32 and I feel pretty confident about five of them that I'd pull the trigger on in April, which says a lot because I don't know how the teams are going to look. I don't know how they're going to draft. I don't know anything about injuries, but I feel pretty confident. This one that I'm going to give out on the pod, I'm almost, that's like a deadlock, but yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to talk some NFL. I love it. All right, buddy. This was a fun episode. We will see everybody next week on Double Down Trent. Baby, look at me. Look at me. Your money. And you know what else? You're a big winner tonight. I want to leave. You're a big winner. I'm going to ask you a simple question. I want you to listen to me. Who's the big winner here tonight at the casino? Huh? Mikey, that's who. Mikey's the big winner. Mikey wins. All right, fine. I'm an asshole, but you know what? You're the big winner tonight, Mikey. You're the big winner in more ways than one.